I'm always extra delighted if I can play with somebody, if I add a little rhythmic thing or a little musical thing or something different that they might bat something back at me. And then we get a nice, fun musical conversation. That's, I live for that. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome in. This is Keith Billick here, welcoming you to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. And uh, what's on my mind at the moment is my sweetie made some homemade caramel popcorn last night, which was very nice and it is very delicious. But I got to tell you, that might be the worst possible food to eat immediately preceding recording podcasts. So uh, you came for the banjo information and uh, you, you get the professional podcasting advice for free. So I guess I'm just saying that as a disclaimer to, to please forgive me if there's anything a little uh, extra in my voice today. Anyway, welcome in. Glad you could join me. In other news, the Picky Fingers merch store is completely restocked with the full line of Picky Fingers t-shirts, hats, stickers, hoodies, and uh, some downloadable music, the theme music that you're hearing right now. You can download the MP3s of that along with Banjo Tablature. So I know the holidays are coming up, folks. This is your chance to just make it a one-stop shop. This is what everyone wants. And of course, all of those items have the world-famous Picky Fingers logo on it. So everyone who you pass by when you're out and about, they will know that you are someone of superior intellect and sophistication. So head over to Banjo Podcast and go to the shop there to uh, see the full line of new merchandise in new and beautiful colors. Uh, I think you will really dig them. The other place to go help support the show is patreon.com slash banjo podcast. You can head over there and sign up to become one of my very important pickers, the VIPs. Uh, Those are the supporters of the show who sign up over on that Patreon site to throw me a few dollars a month and keep this show on the road. This episode's special VIP supporter of the show is Buddy Griffin. Buddy, thank you so much for your very generous support. Buddy is actually a Hall of Honor patron, so as you might know, the Hall of Honor is the highest civilian award bestowed upon podcast listeners. So thank you once again to Buddy Griffin. And one more reminder, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself. You can also follow me on all the social medias. Track me down on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email the show, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. featured guest is Janie Rothfield. Janie is primarily known as a fiddler. In fact, that's her playing fiddle on the uh, track that you're listening to right now. But she is also a world-renowned banjoist, performer, and educator, mostly in the old-time style, but she has uh, a a bit of a mixing melting pot uh, going of different influences, which you will hear all about in this interview. One other special note, this interview was recorded at the Great Lakes Music Camp last fall. So thank you so much to the Great Lakes Music Camp for uh, 
not only being such an awesome camp, but for providing a space for this interview. And that is also why you might hear some audience members. It's it's pretty rare that I get to conduct these interviews in front of people, but that's that's the setup there at Great Lakes. And so I even got to entertain some audience questions. But without further ado, give a warm picky fingers welcome to Janie Rothfield. I grew up outside of New York City, and my mom was actually sort of a, an old folky way back in the day. So we grew up with a lot of music around the house um, being played on records like uh, Pete Seeger and Burr Lives and other sort of folky kind of things. And the then, typical Washington Square folk revival yeah, type of well, stuff? Yeah, well, Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah, yeah, got it. Free Washington Square. But yeah, and uh, mom was always into folk music. She knew the Seeger family and her best friend from college knew Toshi Seeger. And so mom was, oh, cool. you know, we always knew about folk music and things. And my mom played a little bit of violin and a little guitar and some piano. But we didn't necessarily grow up playing folk music, but we always knew about it. And then when I was in fourth grade, after fourth grade, we moved up to Connecticut. And uh, there's a lot of fiddling up there. My Older sister Susie, Susie Thompson now, uh, was playing bluegrass and there was a Hartford fiddle contest that started out in the early 70s. I went to that and started learning fiddle tunes and mom took me to the Bristol Old Time Fiddlers Club. But I didn't really start um, playing banjo till we got to California and I was playing with a lot of wonderful Clawhammer banjos banjo players like um, Alan Hart, who we lost a few years ago, mm. and David Liddell, who lives up in Seattle now, and played a lot of uh, wonderful banjo music, especially lucky was that we got to hang out with um, Eddie Lowe, who had been from North Carolina. I believe he's a nephew of Charlie Lowe, uh, the old-time banjo player. And uh, we we met Eddie, and he was one of these typical people who traveled and had had a job and raised kids and then, you know, in his 60s sort of went retired and someone discovered him and he started playing banjo with everybody. So what part of California was that? It was Southern California in Los Angeles. So you've described both Connecticut and Southern <laughs> California as being like these hotbeds of fiddle and banjo music. And I don't think either of those places are like what people usually think of for that. So that's a little bit surprising. Well, I think that there's there's music everywhere. Everywhere yeah. you go, I, I find, especially now when old time music especially is just proliferated around the country, around the world, mm -hmm. you know, there's p Facebook groups for old time music in Italy and Germany and France and the UK yeah, and great. other places. So uh, you wouldn't normally think that, but when you think about America as being a, you know, migratory kind of a country that was built on movement of people, mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense that there was a lot of people from a lot of different places landing in a place like uh, Los Angeles or Bakersfield was a you know, big place for country music. Merle Travis, I believe, yeah, is course. from there. So, yeah. you know, um, I think that there's just a big, big country with lots of people moving around and, you know, people like to play music. Up in New England, it was a lot of Quebecois and people come down from Canada and traditional music from the pioneer days and then of course the banjo coming in from the enslaved people from Africa you know imparting their music on music of the other people who are living here and yeah of so, course yeah but I love playing the banjo and but mainly I'm a fiddler who plays the banjo right we'll we'll acknowledge that <laughs> that, that you're an accomplished very talented fiddler oh, so just in case we don't loop back to that at some point I'll I'll, I'll make that known to everybody okay. but uh, I'm sure we'll spend most of our time on you yeah. know the the superior instrument that 
yeah. that you have with you. And I, I do love playing the banjo. It's really, really fun. Um, my first banjo, Al and I answered an ad in Los Angeles. We went to mm-hmm. this guy's house, Banjo Billy's Barbecue Sauce. That's what he that's what he made, but he also was a collector of banjos. Okay. And so we got to his house. He gave us jars of banjo Billy's barbecue sauce. And then I bought uh, my first banjo, which I still have, which is a the early twenties uh Vega Senator banjo. And Okay, so I have lots of questions already. First Uh-oh. of all, how how was the sauce? Was a pretty pretty good barbecue I don't sauce? Remember. Okay. Just wondering. <laughs> and how old were you when this was happening when you moved to California and were exposed to these old time players. Yeah, I went to college. Yeah, I went to college in Pitzer, California, uh, and okay. so I, I must have been—I was eighteen, I guess. When okay. I went out there. Mm-hmm. And was there something that made you want to pick up the banjo? In, in addition to your fiddling, you just you just thought it was cool, or uh, well, was there something I really I always love the sound of the banjo. I mean, that's people usually who come to banjo. Like, oh, I just heard it and I just love the sound. Yeah. And, and I think I just wanted to, oh, I know really what the impetus was, as I started singing. And mm-hmm. um, I saw um, Sarah Gray, and I also saw uh, met Kathy Fink, and they both played banjo while they sang. So I figured if I'm going to sing in my little duo with Alan, my husband Alan, I should probably learn how to play the banjo. So I just kind of did. I never really had anybody showing me. I think I used the the Red Pete Seeger book and okay. John Burke's Clawhammer book just to sort of get started. But I soon left that because I wasn't uh, really enjoying tablature that much. So just as an aside, you're, you and Alan <laughs> have been together since back then. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I met Alan when I went to my junior year at college in Aberdeen in Scotland. Alan's from Aberdeen. Right. Okay. And, um yeah. Incredible. So, yeah. So, really, the banjo playing started with me to be able to accompany myself singing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, what steps did you take there? I mean, you you are a, a good singer and a good banjo player, but you have banjo skills that exceed just, you know, your basic Seeger <laughs> accompaniment. So, you must have worked on it a bit. What were your next steps in trying to learn? And Well, I think that uh, a lot of my influence comes from all the different people that I've played with, but mm-hmm. also Alan is Scottish and he's a wicked good old time guitar player, mm-hmm. but he also had that Celtic kind of uh, style and that kind of sound. So the, a lot of things that I would play on the banjo um, quarterly might be a little have different voicings than just a regular straight ahead major chords. I sort of like kind of crunchy chords or things that are droney and yeah. have a little bit more uh, of that kind of thing, I guess. So, so this is definitely a point where I put you on the spot and have <laughs> have you give us a taste of what you mean by all that. Okay. Th- those crunchy chords. Uh, oh, we I already had do. breakfast, but we can, we can deal with some more crunchy. I know what I do. I'll, I'll play you a tune that I made up. And on the B part, it has a sort of a, the voicing kind of thing that I'm talking about. So I've just gone into double C tuning. And so, you know, normally if you're playing in this tuning and you play the one chord, the C chord. Okay, so we've got their little C chord here. Right? And then I can go up to the fifth fret on the first string and put my finger down. And then fifth fret, put my finger down on the third string and we get... It just sort of takes the sweetness out of it as opposed to... And I'm sure if someone's... It's more of like a dulcimer theory. sounding chord. Yeah. Is it all just kind like ones is. and fives? Is that... yeah. Probably it doesn't have a third in there or right. something. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of like that. Chord. Yeah, power chord. And then you can also move it down to two frets and play. Oh. I like that. And then you can put your first finger on the second string and go. And then you can go back up. Then 
move it down to here. So that yeah. sort of comes into a lot of the different kind of play. I like those notes. And uh, anyway, I'm going to play a little tune that I made up called, um, what's it called? <laughs> it's called, oh, it's called Off the Griddle. All right. And it sounds a little bit like um, uh, uh, other D tunes that you've heard. But the B part melody goes. But I like. Where I've just sort of mm-hmm. grabbed these two strings. So th- that's sort of the sort of the crunchy count. So I'll just play that little tune for you. Yeah, so that's yeah, funny. please. <laughs> okay, here. the griddle wonderful um Thank you. now this is where i i show my claw hammer ignorance i'm more of a three finger player myself and so so that's the repertoire and mm-hmm. world that i'm more familiar with but tell me again the name of it you seemed to to note one old time player in particular that seemed to be like an important influence on you when you went out to california remind me of the person's name from, oh. from california or uh, uh color or uh Eddie Lowe. North Carolina. Eddie okay. Lowe, or Ed Lowe, yeah. And was that somebody who you played with or taught you? Is that is that why you kind of made a special mention of of that person? Well, uh, in, the, in those days, we there wasn't so much of the teaching situations going on. It was mostly learning from playing with people. Okay. And so we used to jam a lot with with Eddie down at the the poop deck in in the Venice Beach <laughs> with a bunch of wonderful friends and uh and he just he played really strong banjo and he had this he built this banjo I think it was a fretless and the fingerboard was from the aluminum siding of his house or something like that oh, wow. you know so he was kind of cool and groovy and very friendly and just played with a very a really wonderful driving style and that's as sort of as far as I can say you know I don't remember like saying show me how you do that sure but i just do remember playing with him and that kind of strong drive that i really liked a lot the poop deck is that what the locals refer <laughs> to like the the beachfront walk area is that what you mean well it was on the beachfront in venice yeah, okay. yeah yeah near the angry biker pagoda 
okay. back in the day. Yeah. Nice. But <laughs> anyway, you don't have to mention that in the podcast necessarily, but we used to have jams down there with uh, uh, Al Ard and Tommy Wentworth, both both gone, and James McCall and a bunch of other folks. Tom Sauber occasionally would come down. And oh, yeah, I think Tom was the one who sort of not necessarily... I, he knew Eddie Lowe very well and got Eddie out to do mm-hmm. some recording and also to go do festivals and more publicy kind of things. So yeah. that was great that Tom cool. did that. Yeah. So when you were hearing that, as you put it, the hard driving banjo style, is that something that you think you um, adopted from his playing? Is that, do you, do you consider yourself in that mold more or less? Um, hmm, that's a good question because I really, I like to say that I fiddle the banjo. Okay, well, let me hear about this then. Yeah, so when I'm playing the banjo, a lot of times the fingering is similar to what I'm playing on the fiddle. So hmm. flights of fancy and different kinds of voicings and things that I might do in the fiddle will come out more on my on the banjo. But that being said, um, uh, you know, I just sort of pull from people that you like and then find your own voice to kind of get it going. I mean, I'm a chameleon as well. So if I'm playing yeah. banjo with a, you know, of a more of a lyrical player, I'm going to change my playing to to fit that. Um, you know, if I'm playing with my friend Nancy Slice who lives down in North Carolina, she's a real hard driving fiddler and banjo player. I completely like, just have to match to her match, match her the drive of her uh, banjo playing, her fiddling because she's just she throws on the floor and Yeah, you really sort of have, on it, you don't know? have a choice if you want to you know, be there. Hang on, hang on to the tiger's tail, so to speak. Right. right. Um, but that being said, you know, it it really depends on who I'm playing with and what I'm going to do. I mean, I I just did a recording, Alan and I, after many decades of not doing a duo recording, we've sort of re-emerging mm. <laughs> as a duo, which is really fun. And uh, we did some recording the other day, and I got to banjo to my own fiddling as Ooh. an overdub. That was really really fun because I knew what I was going to do as a fiddle player because it was me. Yeah. And then I got to kind of match it on the banjo, which I've never been able to do because I'm only one person. Yeah, is that the first time you've tried to do that? I've done it, but not quite as 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 pointed as like that. Intently. Usually, okay. I'm playing on a recording. I'll play banjo with another fiddler. So, but mm-hmm. never so much with with myself. Oh, that's really cool. So it was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Let's go back to what you said about you fiddle on the banjo or whatever you however you put that do you have a way of demonstrating what you mean by that you you said there's some common fingerings which is uh, unusual to hear because obviously the tunings are different but how do you mean well in that particular tune uh is how i the ring finger starts up here first finger first finger and so it's just kind of matches I don't know how to explain it. I'm not a music theory person. Okay. But somehow it, it does, especially in the double C or the double, you know, if I'm playing C or D, I just find that uh, the fingering is a very similar to what I do on the fiddle. Okay. And then the rhythm too. I mean, over the years, my my the rhythm on the banjo is imparting itself on the rhythm of the fiddle. And I think it goes back and forth. You know, there's certain things that I might do on the banjo that will probably show up in my fiddling and vice versa. But I'm not sure which came first, the banjo or the fiddle or the fiddle of the banjo so yeah it's it's a it's a conundrum but it, it's i think it works it makes my banjo playing a little bit different because i haven't learned to play it as a banjo player so to speak mm-hmm. you know there are certain moves that people will put right out in tab which i respect and different things i'm thinking oh i wouldn't i wouldn't play that on a banjo because i'm a fiddler 
right? So I see banjo huh. players like other bluegrass style pickers or clawhammer players doing moves or certain things that I just, I, it's not even in my radar at all because I, I don't, I'm not thinking about that phrase. It just doesn't, maybe it's not a phrase that I would play on the fiddle. So maybe I don't play on the banjo. I'm not sure which came first, but. It's almost like speaking your second language still with the accent of your first language, which is fiddle. And you're not. Yeah. There's just some, I don't know, I nu- think- nuances that maybe uh, that it becomes your style. I'm not even saying that it's like a bad thing that you don't yeah. do that. It just happens to it, be what you it, do. Yeah. It just happens to be what I do. I mean, I, uh, I like to sort of follow my my instincts and pull in from what's happening around me, from the other people, what they're playing to. So uh, I'm always excited to get influenced by the people that I play with. Yeah. So speaking of that, you mentioned that there there are certain folks you play with where you're playing more expressively and other folks where you play more hard driving. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you achieve those? Like what would be, if a player... Is, is in a situation where they think they need to play more hard drive and what, what is something they can work on or what do they need to, to focus on to be that kind of player or vice versa with the yeah. more expressive stuff? I, I always think it's, you know, in terms of a learning learning experience, it's really the right hand is everything, mm-hmm. I think, because that's where the drive, that's where the speed's going to come. And I think that just from my own experience of teaching people and and learning myself is that once you get that right hand going on automatic pilot with speed and with driver with whatever it is that you're not thinking so you're not thinking about it then that's where all the magic can come so okay. if i'm playing it's kind of nice So there's little techniques that you can use to change the way the banjo is going to sound. And it's not mm-hmm. it's not technically hard, but the main thing is you keep that right hand going. And the, the, my right hand does not stop. Yeah. It just, the moves change. But I'm always there on the... There's always going to be that kind of pulsy drive. different basic techniques slides hammer-ons pull-offs yeah but if you can get that right hand doing its kind of thing Mm -hmm. then you can add all those little little skills and gussy up your plan now those particular accents that you are doing are are those particular to the melody of the tune are you are you going with the arc of the melody or are there certain types of accents that would I don't know. I, I don't know all my old time styles. I don't know my <laughs> round peaks from my, you know, whatever the other ones are. So again, I'm I'm ignorant about it. So I, I would love to, to hear, yeah, how you use each of those. Or is it just uh, tune by tune? Uh, these are such good questions. Um, so many answers. I think, I think the, if there is an answer, it really has to do with who I'm, who I'm playing with. Mm-hmm. And to, and so if I'm playing with somebody who's more melodic and there's maybe not a bass player and not a another guitar player, I'm going to try and take take over that role. So I might go just like the guitar or the bass. Or if someone's like very, very smooth, I might play very smoothly behind them melodically and that could work, but maybe mm-hmm. it just needs a little push. So I might go, um, let's see, uh, what's a good tune? 
It's a little fly around my pretty miss. That's pretty basic melody. So if you can hear the fiddle in the background, <laughs> see if I can. singing at the same time yeah, I was playing yeah. banjo. I, might I figured that's a what was cross happening. <laughs> but you can see that there's, you know, you can do different things that are going to move the move the tune in ways that if it sounds good, then it is good. I mean, it just yeah. depends who you're playing with, you know. If someone's, I'm always delighted if to play with anybody and I'm always extra delighted if I can play with somebody, if I add a little rhythmic thing or a little musical yeah. thing or something different that they might bat something back at me and then we get a nice, fun musical conversation. That's, yeah, that's, that's I live for that's that. That's real music, yeah. Yeah, well, it's all good, but it's especially fun if you can, if you can talk to each other, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry for the interruption, folks. We'll be right back with the rest of the episode in just a few moments. But I had to take this opportunity to tell you about some of the sponsors of Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The first one up is Elderly Instruments. I always tell people how Elderly is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage stringed instruments of all kind. They're the first place I go for all my banjo needs. And also, by the way, any guitar, violin, ukulele, mandolin needs you have, they're going to have all of that. But you don't need to take my word for it anymore, folks. Elderly Instruments was just named the best small business in the country by the United States Chamber of Commerce. So first of all, congratulations to Stan Werben, Lillian Werben, and all the rest of the Elderly family for that remarkable award. And second of all, I encourage you all to go see what the fuss is about. Either get into the showroom in Lansing, Michigan, or visit them online at elderly.com. They have the entire inventory up there. They ship worldwide and they have that great customer service that wins folks awards. Uh, And they're just a phone call away if you ever need any advice on any of those products. So once again, elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also sponsored by our good friends over at Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation is the nation's number one site for streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, where you can learn bluegrass, old time, and many other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots music. Here is some of the selections, and this is just the banjo stuff. You can take beginning banjo with Bill Evans, bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, or contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, it's going to come with high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And perhaps best of all, Picky Fingers listeners get a month free by entering coupon code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. So once more, go to pegheadnation.com and enter PICKYFINGERS at checkout to get your first month free. 
Picky Fingers podcast is also brought to you by Sullivan Banjos. Now, I'm very familiar with Sullivan Banjos. I've been playing one for nearly 20 years. I get tons of compliments on that banjos sound, and that's really no surprise because the Sullivan name has been synonymous with incredible banjo workmanship and tone for decades. So whether you are looking for a pre-war style traditional design on through the craziest custom design you can think of, Eric Sullivan is here for you to make your dreams a reality. So get in touch with him over at sullivanbanjo.com, email him at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com, or sometimes the best way is just the old-fashioned way. Give him a call at 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell him that Keith at the Picky Fingers Podcast sent you. One more thing about this hard driving style of playing, because those are real big buzzwords in like the bluegrass world, as you can imagine. And a lot of us talk about doing rolls and playing with a metronome and slowing it down and, and doing all these like really rudimentary exercises. Is that something you've done to develop your driving style or maybe not? <laughs> well, I'm not a really good practicer. <laughs> I'm very lucky that in my life I've had a chance to play a lot of music with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And especially in the last few years, I've decided that I really like playing the banjo at a jam. So sometimes it annoys the other banjo players that are showing up for the jam. And I'm happy to play with another banjo player. But sometimes people don't want to have two banjos and that's fine. So lately I've been a little bit of a... Sacrilege. I know. It's like, I say there's two fiddles, there's three fiddles. Why can't we have two or three banjo players, you know? But... That means, you know, you have to, you know, each person has to be playing nicely together. Of course. Um, but uh, I think playing for dances, you know, you, you know, playing for uh, dances is a really great way to to get your get your rhythm chops, your speed chops and your your driving chops because you can't stop. Yeah. You got to keep going. And the dancers are not listening to any of the fancy stuff you might be playing. They're just listening to the to the pure the rhythm. rhythm. So yeah. um, playing for dances and just uh, grabbing a fiddler and say, hey, you know, let's play mm-hmm. and be willing to change <laughs> your your retune your banjo if you need to into a different key. Yeah. You know, just. I've never been a good metronome player. I'm just that's my brain just doesn't work like that. But I think it's a good good thing to do. I mean, when I first started playing old time music, I just played with records all the time. Mm-hmm. A highwood string band and old county recordings and some of that stuff was really fast. Mm-hmm. So and you just have to hang onto the tiger's tail and just just keep it going until you hit the pain <laughs> threshold and then maybe try not to fall off. Mm-hmm. And uh and keep it simple, you know. You could also do a thing where you just start nice, easy. Once you got that going, where you can talk at the same time and maybe look out the window and have a conversation that's become second nature. Yeah. Then you can start speeding up. And when you're speeding up, everything has to get a little smaller. But you don't want to sacrifice the rhythm at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. All that stuff, if you're a good practicer, it's, it's good to just... And maybe not practice slow. Just get right in there and set a metronome on fast and see what that feels like, you know? Mm-hmm. Push yourself a bit. I'm also a big proponent of of air right hand. So just making the motion with your hand without playing the instrument. 
You get some weird looks in the uh, grocery store Maybe when you're you doing too. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or uh, bouncing the ball. That's a good metaphor. If you can bounce a ball really fast, uh-huh. you know, it's sort of so you know how fast you need to go. And the faster you go, the smaller you need to go. And you, oh, yeah. it, and, you know, and without losing that drive, you just got to keep you, you, your audience can't see my air banjo going. But yeah, you can. but I, I think they can imagine you just don't have time for big, oversized arm movements when mm-hmm. the next. Uh, you know, strike has to happen in, a, you know, yep. milliseconds and, or whatever. Yeah, no matter what, don't stop. Just keep going. Very good point. I'm getting nodding from the people in the audience <laughs> here. They're like, yep, don't stop. <laughs> in the spirit of keeping going, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll shift the topic to uh, last night you you listed a whole bunch of places that you've called home over the years. Mm. And I guess I would like to hear how that maybe relates to your playing do you associate any anything with the banjo according to where you've lived or different things you've picked up I do. from the communities maybe yeah. to, you know take us back through that list i've already forgotten all the places you've said oh. but i remember thinking <laughs> like wow yeah she's she's been around that's cool well i started out in new england going to fiddle contests and bluegrass festivals so i heard a lot of great bluegrass like a lot of the early um early bands, Osborne Brothers and Ralph mm-hmm. Stanley and Jim and Jesse and of course Bill Monroe and 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 some great uh mostly bluegrass uh pickers Phil Zimmerman uh from Connecticut who was a great great musician and a real champion of mine for many years. He passed away a few years ago, always encouraging me. And then in Los Angeles, of course, getting exposed to Eddie Lowe and Alan Hart and David Liddell and then, you know, all these other great young players from California that I got to meet who are still playing the canotes and just having fun. Um, then I went to Scotland for my junior year at college and I actually met a in Aberdeen where I was, uh, Ray Stewart. He was as, as Scottish as you get and uh, he played bluegrass and clawhammer banjo and he'd never played with an American fiddler before. And oh, he wow. would say, and so he sort of showed me a little bit of a basic sort of bum ditty kind of thing and I guess he was sort of my first sort of teacher the other people I just kind of would just play with but he was showing me some stuff but he used to say oh Jin come on play some of that St. Anne's reel <laughs> <laughs> and he would get so excited uh, to play with an American fiddler and he played a hard driving banjo I mean he just like whacked that banjo it was amazing so you but know, you were you were like authentic and that's what he I guess, was, was yeah. After. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's cool. He didn't know any other fiddlers. He never played with an American before. So, and he, you know, he listened to all the old recordings and, you know, he really could play. He was a great, mm-hmm. great hard driving player. He loved that style. And then I also met uh, Sarah Gray. Who's a wonderful clawhammer banjo player who now lives in in Maine. She lived in Scotland for many years. She was a, really the first person I heard play a uh, banjo accompanying a song or a ballad, and she is a wonderful master at that, as well yeah. being a great singer. So she was very inspiring. Um, and then went back to California, and that's where I met Kathy Fink.
who is, you know, a wonderful, hard-driving, beautiful musician and a singer. And she, mm-hmm. you know, that she really uh, impressed me a lot. She taught me Little Billy Wilson's, which is uh, a tune I played at the Hoppin' John Fiddle Con, uh, Old Time Con. Uh, convention a few weeks ago. Oh, I nice. played it very, very fast. I went a little crazy and I actually got a third place ribbon. So that was kind of oh, well, exciting. I don't know who I was up against, but it was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so folk, you know, contemporary people like that and then really getting a chance to listen to a lot of old recordings. Um, the other important people that I met were from Eastern Kentucky, um, Jimmy McCown, who uh, was in the Outdoor Plumbing Company, if anybody remembers that amazing band from the 70s. He and his wife, Ada, and their family had the band. And I met Jimmy at uh, Banjo Camp North, actually, I think in 2015 or something. He was there with the amazing Reed Martin, who's also an incredible yeah. banjo player. And I met these two men and just like, what is going on here? And then I heard them play and I thought, oh my goodness, I need to play with these people. So mm-hmm. I kind of followed them around and then um, made a recording called I Fiddle They Banjo. And so I went around and made recordings of me fiddling with a bunch of banjo players. So I got to play a lot with Jimmy and his specialty really, in addition to being a great bluegrass style banjo, was being an awesome Clark Harbor style banjo and picker, but he had a six string banjo. And so that, that low string, of course, when you hit that low string, that's that drone that I love, you know, when you can, and then there's even a lower string, which is really awesome. Just to clarify, you, you you don't mean like a guitar banjo. You mean like a, a banjo with the shortened fifth string, but with an extra low, low string. string. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was really cool to, hear, to yeah. hear what he did there. And he, coming from the bluegrass, had all sorts of things that he would do up the neck with the left hand when he claw hammered. So oh wow, that was really amazing. And yeah. then he introduced me to Paul David Smith, who played banjo on a bunch of the snake. Chapman recordings from way back because that's Snake Chapman was sort of the person around them that played and had monthly jams in his kitchen. So they got to play, they played with him mm-hmm. a lot. So I feel like a nice connection to sort of that via Jimmy and, and Paul David. And what was really interesting is when I played banjo with either of them or the fiddle, that we we played similarly. It was It was weird. We just started playing a tune that we knew and without hearing the other person play, it was... There was this simpatico thing that happened. Um, And I I really didn't understand why, except that, you know, there's a lot of listening going on. But also, you know, I think, and I'm not an expert or ethnomusicologist, but the music Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky is, is interesting. You know, it's got a lot of different kinds of, there's bluegrass and there's the really old time. I think it sounded a little Quebecois kind of things, a little really? northeast, a little northern there. And I asked Jimmy about it, something that he was playing. And he said, well, you know, we used to have this guy. He would come come down here once a year and he kind of talked funny, you know. I, oh, and you think it was like a French-Canadian I, person? I, I or, do, because okay. they were going down to Louisiana or somewhere. They were heading south. <laughs> it was right on the way. Um, so all these different influences, you know, uh, sort of uh, made me realize that, you know, we all play in a certain accent. Um 
I'll just tell you this one little story. I made up the tune, this tune called Too Late for the Bacon. And I taught to Jimmy. And then and then when he played it on the banjo or the fiddle, he put way more notes in than I had was okay. playing. And I couldn't understand why. And then I realized that because, and I'm gonna imitate him the best I can with respect, because he talked like this, lots of little syllables and everything that he said. And his playing kind of did that. You know, instead <laughs> of going, yum, ba da 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 dum, he might go, you know, a lot of little little turns, turns yeah. and things like yeah. that. So that was kind of impressive. Well, let's hear me. the tune now. How, oh. how does it go? Oh, uh, but, this, but this is without the if <laughs> if you have it ready. No, I, I have to fiddle it. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Oh, yeah. I forget that we're... I mean, I can banjo it, but it's... In two different yeah. roads here. That's a basic tune. Then here we go. Something like... Yeah. Something like... Okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I get it. Okay. So so far we've heard about your tunes called something something off the griddle and too late for the bacon. Do you do you compose in the morning oh. when when you're like hungry for breakfast or something like how? Well, that's or is this know, just a coincidence? Uh, you know, I I made a CD a few years ago called Out of Thin Air with all of my original tunes, and that's seriously that's mostly how they show up. I might sit down with a banjo and. I'll just play something and it just sort of shows up. And if I'm really with it, I'll record it. Most of the time, it just sort of happens like that. I have had a couple of situations where I actually sat down to write a tune. Um, I made up a tune called Waiting for Sandy when I was waiting for the Superstorm Sandy to come and I thought I was going to get taken out by a tree or flooding. Yeah, right. Nothing happened to us in Philadelphia, but yeah. I was sitting there watching the music, uh, the weather channel, and I was freaking out. And so I went into the next room and I said, I think I'm just going to make up a tune. And I made up a tune called Waiting for Sandy. I'll play a little bit of it for you if you like. Yeah. It sort of came to me. The only thing that I, I changed after the first version of it is that what I, I put a I put a B an E minor. I'm in C right now because I have my capo, but a little minor chord, which my niece Allegra Thompson says it's the portents of doom. Oh, that's the that's the hurricane <laughs> yeah. coming. So here's a little waiting for Sandy. Yeah. Not bad. Do we have any audience questions? Yes. 
I've been noticing your banjo and the hide on it is it's really interesting. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your physical banjo. <laughs> yeah, yes. let's let's just go in and um I'm not sure how well that came across on the mic, but uh the listener is asking about your banjo, its appearance is very striking, very <laughs> unique. Why don't you just tell the, the this banjo has like a very cool, if bittersweet kind yeah. of story that's really interesting. So why don't you you talk all about the banjo itself and then maybe specifically address the head because the yeah. head does have like a very unique like... No, it's a skinhead. So I'll tell you the story about this. So my, my dear, dear friend, Steve Arkin, um, who was an incredible bluegrass style banjo and claw harbor banjo and picker player, he, yeah. he was amazing. Dear, dear friend. And a year ago in August, we were uh, at our camp at Clifftop down in West Virginia. And I went and uh, uh, grabbed Lindsay Lydon, who makes Mulheron banjos. Uh, he's a great banjo player. He lives out near Brasstown, North Carolina. Um, and a builder, and I said, come down to my camp, let's play, and bring one of your cool banjos, and I'm sure someone will want to buy one because they see you're playing and get you out of your booth. He said, okay. So he came down, we're playing, and my friend Steve came walking by, and he stopped and he looked, and they came over and he looked at this banjo, which is very interesting looking because the head is, Lindsay paints them and does designs on the heads which it looks like sort of modern art, I guess you could say, almost sort of splashy. So it's an interesting looking banjo, and it's an also great sounding banjo. Mm-hmm. And and so Steve sat down. I said, "Here, Steve, just play his banjo." So he did, and for about an hour, he's asking all sorts of questions. And, and then Steve decided, I think it was in that first hour, maybe later that day, that he was going to have Lindsay make him a banjo. Mm-hmm. And so then Steve spent many, many hours up at Lindsay's booth at Clifftop talking about all the different things that he wanted on this banjo. Banjo geeking out. I don't can't even talk about that because I'm not so much of a geek <laughs> like that. I'm learning, but and so. Then he paid for the banjo, and then they left, and Lindsay was going to build on the banjo. And then, unfortunately, a few weeks later, Steve died. You know, he left left this earth. It's just a, just a terrible, terrible loss. And so I called Lindsay up, and he said, "Yeah, you know, I've got this got this banjo. I'm going to build for Steve, but I, you know, I don't know what to do." I said, "Well, you should probably build it, and then when you go to a festival, find someone like me or someone who knows lots of people." and and uh, have us have the banjo for a day or two, and then whoever comes to play music with us can play Steve's banjo. Yeah, because I just thought that would be kind of like cool. a tribute banjo. A yeah, tribute banjo, absolutely. And so, um, so then next thing I knew, almost a year goes by, and and then Lindsay is going to build the banjo, and he's decided he's going to put half the proceeds to uh, the jam program. I don't know what the financial was, but he was going to sell the banjo, build a banjo and sell it and give half the proceeds to the Junior Appalachian Music Program down mm-hmm. there in North Carolina. So immediately I saw this on Facebook immediately. I'm buying it. I had to buy this banjo. I didn't want another banjo. It's a 12-inch pot. I never thought I always wanted a 12-inch pot, but they're big. I thought it was going to be too big for me. It was going to hurt yeah. my arm. I didn't want to carry it, blah blah blah. But I bought this banjo sight unseen. And so the next day, Lindsay calls me and goes, what color do you want the banjo? Because, you know, I paint my banjos. Yeah. I was like, oh, right. He does this. He paints the rims. And it's it's kind of, I can't describe it really. I said, well, I like turquoise, blues, and greens. So this banjo has, the rim is 
got sort of a interesting muddle, muddled kind of rough. Yeah, it looks like it's rough painting. Neptune or something. Yeah, I don't even know. It just sort looks of, like planetary to me. Yeah, it's a little. There's a. It's there's texture to it, and hmm. the head also has the splashes of green and some brown, and the hardware is really cool. And then he has this special knob here. Uh, which is attached to a thing that push when you turn the knob to the right, righty tighty, it yeah. goes, it pushes against the head of the banjo. And when you oh. loosen it, it comes off of the head of the banjo. So it's a mute. Well, it is kind of a mute, but I found this summer when the banjo head was really, when it was damp, if I turned it really tight, it actually made it less mutey because it tightened oh. the head. Is that why he put that on there? To compensate for the variations in the, he- the hide head? fluctuations that you, happen you can't see me out out there in pot but i'm like i don't know <laughs> she doesn't know either <laughs> i don't know i thought it mer- at first it was a thumpometer like to make it more thumpy if you wanted to thump it out or if you wanted yeah. it to be less bright that's but what i would have assumed that's what too, i assumed yeah. and so i haven't really i haven't i've sort of played with it a little bit uh but it depends on the weather so yesterday it was pretty damp so i think i i tightened it but the day before everything was really dry so i loosened it and it sort can of can i see what it looks like in on sure, the it's, inside it's, on the inside there's a okay there's a knob on the rim and then on the inside there's a it's like a i think it's a like a drum mute a drum thingy yeah it's like a two inch circular just Foamy flat pad that thing. kind of presses against the underside of the yeah, head. Yeah, so when you turn the screw, it goes vroom, and pushes against that and then you unscrew yeah. it and it comes out. I haven't really figured out exactly like what the settings are because there's no numbers. There's no like, yeah. it doesn't go to 11. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's no settings, so, then you can make it 11 if you want. I know, but I think that every time you, anytime the banjo is like a little living, living creature, so mm-hmm. it changes. Yeah. But, so right now it's it's actually on. Okay. So I could turn it to the left and just real see... If there's, oh, oh yeah, the back. There's the back. It it's a really it's a beautiful. He's he's. And you see the knob on top too. It's a dial. So that's that's with it removed from the head. Oh, that's not even not even removed at all. Wait, I need to turn it some more. Sorry. Okay, then that's off the head. Okay, yeah. I'll, then I'll turn it to the right. Bit more lively and yeah, uh, but the, it's overtones. just slightly yeah. different. Yeah. Not horribly different. Not like weirdly too bright. No. Still beautiful. Yeah, just tames it a little bit. Thank you, Steve, for designing this amazing banjo. Was that a Steve spec, that whole mute system? I, I think it was. I think he had all sorts wow. of things that he wanted Lindsay to do. Because Steve, when he would pick up a banjo to play, he 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 did his thing. He played all this stuff down here, and then you go, hey, go to, to check this, you know, uh-huh. check that note or whatever. And he was always talking about, you know, well, people like to talk about their banjos. Yeah, so since people <laughs> like to talk about their banjos, what are what's the rest of of what people would need to know about this? Like is there a, a certain wood for the neck and the fingerboard and you have a you know, a metal I, plate on the scoop it I looks have, like and, I had a, took a picture of uh of the specs that Steve wanted. If you wanted I could I could Okay, Steve Arkin. 
Well, he has silver leaf with um, modifications, but he crossed out silver leaf and wrote tubophone, crossed that out and wrote Dobson. So that's the tone ring. Yeah. And then 17 frets, tone control, thin goatskin natural, boat heel like a coal, wider string placement at nut. Okay, so when I I got the banjo, Lynn, I said, I don't want it to be like a Steve neck at the nut. So he took. I sent him a measurements of my banjo okay. that I have. So a little more so standard. So it's a little bit more little for a lady's hand. Um, amber buttons, mahogany neck, maple rim, black neck strip, val valite. I don't know what that is. Green pegs, deep greens and blues, and beige. Those were the colors. And then something Dobson tone ring brass crossed out. Metal armrest brass. Pitchfork scoop. He's got a thing of a pitchfork in the scoop. Fisheye inlay, three-inch deep nut copper something. <laughs> copper star. And then the last thing is, I can't, it's crossed out. <laughs> okay, anyway, I think we got most sorry, of the Sorry, I know. I think it's we a got little tedious me reading that. You don't necessarily have to keep that in. Yeah, no problem. In the podcast. But well, yeah, that's, he, well, that's really cool. It's nice to have like a... A banjo that you love, but that also has a bit of extra sentimental meaning for it, you. It does. I have to say, in the last year, I've gotten two. I've got a new fiddle called Old Ugly, <laughs> which has changed my life. It has the volume and the tone that I've been looking for for ages. And all wow. of a sudden, people are like, oh, Jane, what's going on with your fiddling? I'm like, well, it's the same. It's just different instruments. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. And I think this banjo has changed my musical life as well. It's 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 giving me tones. It's giving me ideas, things, inspiration, just... Playing a different instrument sometimes can can change a lot. Yeah, so, hear things in a new way. Hear things in a new or way, and maybe to hear different things pop out. That yeah, and it looks you know, really cool. It looks really cool. Yeah. So it's Mulheron banjos, M U L H E R O N, and Lindsay Lydon L I D E N is the banjo builder. He's yeah. he's he's on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. Thanks for mentioning that. that yeah. yeah. People need to to check out the work. I don't know if they'll see yours, but it sounds like he. Is very artistic with with most. He is. Of his he's also creation. a great uh, furniture builder as well. And, oh, and stuff that makes too, sense. So, and guitars cool. probably as well. So, any other audience questions? Can we hear about your camp? Oh, we uh, we want to hear about your camp. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for asking. Um, well, almost ten years ago. Well, it was more than ten years ago. I I got very aggravated because I didn't see very many women being hired at the old time music camps. And that wasn't because I wasn't necessarily getting hired. I just didn't, the, the ratio was bad. It was really bad. So I decided I was going to have my own music camps and was just going to hire women instructors. Then I didn't know where to put, to do it. And then my friend Pete Peterson and his wife Kelly Allen have a big, huge house in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia. And they said, why don't you have it here? So the idea was to do a home camp. And the concept was to, you know, have it be very much like where we are, a nice small community, um, great teachers, focus on technique and, and, musicality and rhythm, not necessarily about learning all the tunes, but how to play them better. That was mm -hmm. kind of my motto. And have it be a very relaxed, kind of very student-oriented um, weekend where you can get into this bubble in a house and uh, take class and play music and integrate with the, the, the teachers 100% uh, of the time that you're there. Yeah. So they're called Janie's Jumpstart uh, because we want to jumpstart your playing. And I do them in people's homes. And uh, 
I'll go anywhere to do them. I just need someone who says, yeah, I, I don't mind having, you know, maybe 20 people in my house, uh, not all staying there, just the, the teachers stay yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and and I take care of everything and do all the food and figure out all the logistics and take care of insurance and all that kind of stuff. And we just kind of show up and we have this magical weekend in, in this house and make music and friends and it's really cool. So it's like a pop-up traveling Yeah, kind of a pop-up. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. And, and, and just to clarify, it's it's the faculty that are all women or are the students is that the premise that the students are also women or is no. it all genders of students yeah, but you all, just wanted to have uh, yeah at the that start type of faculty yeah at the start okay. i started out with all all women and i've i've hired some amazing amazing women musicians now i don't i'm not so much making that the point although the next camp that i'm doing down in philadelphia is going to be uh three women it's going to be me and ivy shepherd who's an amazing musician and radio uh manager and DJ in, in North Carolina and Rachel Eddy. So uh, we're going to do that. But I, I, I do love uh, hiring anybody who's a great teacher. Yeah. Great. So I'm not discriminating against the gender. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on that note, tell folks where to find on the web. Have we answered every question that anyone can think of? Okay. Just making sure. Make sure you leave us with how to find not only like information about your camp, but also, of course, your your music and your performances. Yeah. Um, so you can go to janierothfield.com. There is a janerothfield.com, which is me, but that's my old website. So it's janierothfield.com. And you can go on there. My calendar's in there. You can get sign up for my newsletter. I usually do one every six weeks or something when I get around to it. And it'll have all the information about all the stuff I'm doing. And I'm very active on Facebook, so you can find me there. Um, and if anybody's interested in, um, you know, inviting me to your town, just send me a note. You never know. I get around. Yeah, cool. Thanks All so right. much. Yeah, thanks again, Janie. Thanks for tuning in, folks. That's going to do it for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. The song clips you heard were Cumberland Gap by Janie Rothfield, Bayou Sarah by Sarah Gray and Ellie Ellis, and two more Janie Rothfield tunes, Little Billy Wilson and then Julianne Johnson. Thank you once again to today's Patreon supporter of the show. That's Buddy Griffin. Head on over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to support the show yourself and get all your holiday shopping done. Head over to banjopodcast.com and go to the shop there to see the full line of world-famous official Picky Fingers logo merchandise, uh, all the hats and stickers and shirts and hoodies, etc. Have a great holiday weekend, everybody. I'll see you next time. <laughs>